Hi, I'm Anna Mizell. I've been going here about five years, and um, I'm going to read 10 2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Great. Thanks, Anna. All right. Yes, yeah. So I want us to look at that passage in just a second. We're going to look at another one first. I was wrestling with what I was going to talk about this week. Uh, we're starting a new series called, I titled, Follow Me. Simply follow me. Because I was thinking about the basics of the faith. What are we, what's the purpose of that? That we follow Jesus. And he told his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Matthew 4, 19. And so we want to follow him and learn to follow him. So one of the things that we need to learn to follow him in is how we pray. And so a passage that really struck me as I was wrestling, because I was looking at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer and was thinking about that for this first message. But this one sentence grabbed me. In, John, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. So turn there. It says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. A simple, simple sentence. And as I was looking at it, I realized I don't think I've ever heard a message where that was the primary text. I began to look at the commentaries and I found that Everybody kind of skips this passage, this verse. They'll talk about the stuff before, they'll talk about the stuff after, and they kind of don't say a lot about this, or at least a number of commentaries just skip it all together. And those that did, they would talk about one aspect of this sentence. And I began to dissect the sentence and began to get more and more excited about what it says and what it means for us. Because I really feel like that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to learn to pray like Jesus. We all need to learn to pray like Jesus. Now, I haven't always been someone who knew how to pray in front of people. Uh, I grew up in a tradition that, uh, that, that wrote the prayers out and we recited them together as a congregation. Or sometimes the priest would get up there and he would pray a prayer, but it was something he's written. We've seen that when we've seen inaugurations of presidents and, and other places where people read a prayer that's written, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. And, you, and, and when, when you get done, you're not sure if you should have been taking notes or if you should applaud or if you should say the amen. You don't know how you're supposed to respond to that. And so you find yourself struggling with what is prayer all about anyway? Are those prayers, and I'm not judging, are those prayers for us so that we'll applaud? Or are they prayers to God? And it's something that we have to retool on in some cases. We have to relearn in others. I was asked to pray yesterday at the uh, Veterans Parade in Mansfield. And so uh, as I... As I, was, as I get ready for those kind of things, what you find in yourself doing is 
You want to pray so that people kind of say the amen or you hear people kind of murmuring, oh yeah, that's, this is what we need to pray for. And you find and you realize that's not why I'm there. I'm there to talk to God. And yet I think so many of our prayers, especially when we pray with one another and in front of one another, becomes a prayer to kind of impress the audience, as it were. To help them to think, oh, that guy's really great prayer, or that guy really knows his theology, or that guy really has a humble heart, or whatever it is. And that's not the reason we pray. And you realize in those moments, and I realize in those moments, I pray in those moments leading up to that moment, Lord, help me just to focus on you. Help me to close my eyes and all the people just go away. And I'm just talking, it's just me and you. And I'm talking to you. And I'm asking what I want to ask. It's not, I've heard so many prayers that are really kind of mini sermons, right? That they're, they're praying, but they're really kind of wanting to say something to you that they, you know, no, you may not receive if they just said it to you, so now they pray it. And so we got to relearn how to pray. In my case, when I first came to Christ, I had never prayed in front of people. In fact, uh, the prayers that we prayed at mealtime in our home uh, after we went to Philmont Scout Ranch was to pray the Philmont prayer that they would pray at their mealtimes. And so we would just say it together as a family. So even mealtimes, there was not this extemporaneous prayer, this prayer with it, just from the heart. And so I had to learn. I had to figure it out. Yesterday, I, it kind of reminded me of yesterday how I was having to figure some things out with laser tack. Yeah, I, I got to play with some of these guys' laser tag, and these guys are really good. You know, I come in as the novice, you know, and, and I'm trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I, I, the first time that we played, I got killed about 20 times in, you know, about two seconds, and I'm trying to figure out how do, how do I even recharge this thing and what, you know. And so uh, I, I, my, my gun was constantly saying respawning, you know, R-E-S-P-A-W-N-I-N-G, respawning, re, being reborn, I guess. I don't think we could really use that in the gospel presentation. Oh, you're going to be respond. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, was, I had so much fun. And what I found was is that together we'd get together and we'd say, okay, here's the strategy. And we'd get the strategy together. And then after uh, the first time, I figured out some things. And so we'd talk about the things that we figured out and that they figured out. And we'd kind of re-strategize. And then the third time, we'd re-strategize again. And you found yourself at the end going, oh, man, I figured this out. And this was so much fun. And, and you're talking about all these things that you learned and you figured out uh, together or, or by yourself. And, uh, and sometimes you won and sometimes you lost. But it was, it was a blast doing it. And I was thinking, you know, prayer should be that way. That as we're learning and as we're praying, it shouldn't be this thing where we all of a sudden kind of change into this different person, the holy whatever and we get that stained glass voice you know oh god <laughs> now, it should be just us talking to god much like we talk to our friend much like our our i mean there's a reason we're called children i mean children don't sit down and type out you know something that they're gonna ask you for and then come and read it to you right they just walk up to mom and dad and go hey can i have this and they might get a yes or a no, and then they've learned to go to the other parent and see if they get a different answer. And then they can kind of get mom and dad going at each other, and they can sit back and eat popcorn and watch, you know, the festivities. At least they get something out of the deal, right, even if it's a no. 
And I just think, wow, you know, that's, what does God want from his children? Why does he call us his children? Because he wants us to just come to him and just pour out our hearts before him. He wants us just to talk to him. And we see that in Jesus. We see him doing some amazing things. But here's something that I think that happens to us in prayer. We pray typically two kinds of prayers. Help, right? Help me. I need your help, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I mean, the panic prayer or the prayer for health. That we're praying for somebody to be healed or be cured or to be helped in some way for the doctors. Those are both great prayers. We should, we should always be praying those prayers. God loves it when we come to him with those things in our life. But he also wants us to come and pray prayers about the kingdom, his kingdom on this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. We're inviting the divine to be involved in our world and to do his thing, to do what God can only do. And we got to trust him. In the bottom line of that, we got to trust him. And so many times we think, well, God doesn't answer my prayers. He answers your prayers, buckles, because you're a holy man, but he doesn't answer my prayer. I'm, like, I'm not any closer to God than you are. Just know this. I'm one beggar telling another beggar where, do, where the bread is. That's all I am. I'm Greg. I'm G-Buck by some. I'm, I'm just a person. I'm always uncomfortable with titles, pastor, founding pastor, what, you name it. I, I, I'm just Greg. I'm just somebody who loves Jesus and wants other people to love Jesus too. And so when, when we think about communicating with our God, it means that we just need to go and talk to him. We just need to ask him. We need, we need to talk to him about the things that are on his heart. If we're going to pray like Jesus prays, then we need to pray for some of the things that Jesus prays for. And one of the things that we see that he prays for is people, for you and for me. We're going to see that in both this passage and the other one as well. And so... As we retool, as we refigure out, kind of like the laser tag, I, I figured some things out each time I did it. We need to figure out some things about prayer. We need to wrestle with the things that cause us not to pray or cause us to only pray for like five minutes and then we're done. You see, Jesus, when you look at this passage and you look at, at some of the others, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Was it a five-minute prayer? Well, we know from... Chapter 6 of Luke, in verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. Okay. And all night he continued in prayer to God. What? All night? What would you do after the first five minutes of prayer? I remember the first time that I was asked by a guy that was discipling me, hey, let's, let's get four of us together. Let's go to a, a, a park. We'll all spread out, just kind of get to a place that there's not a lot of people and we'll spend the day in prayer. The day? The, the day in prayer. You're saying the day, right? I mean, like, how long are we talking about here? Nine to five. We'll be, we'll be done at five. We're coming here at nine. We brought a, lunch, a sack lunch, and we're going to, we'll, we'll, you know, meet us at the car at five. I didn't have the keys to the car, so I had to wait till five. <laughs> I mean, prayer was already awkward for me. And, 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 I, and I didn't have anything written out. It's like, what, what, how do I pray for all those hours? Well, some of that time was spent in, in worship and just singing to God. And some of that time was spent just listening to God, not hearing an audible voice, but just reading his word and just 
saying, Lord, help me with this. Help me to understand what it is that you want me to do. What do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to spend my life? How can I invest it like you want to invest it? Not just spend my life, but to invest it in eternal things. I don't want to just get to the end of my life and, okay, I lived, you know, 67 years. And, well, what was that all about? You know, I want it to, to have an impact, to have a meaning, to have a meaning bigger than myself, to have a meaning bigger than, than any plans that I could do. And so I found myself that day changed me and changed my perspective on prayer because I prayed for the health of the people that I knew needed prayed for and I prayed all the help stuff and, you know, and, and I thought I'd prayed for an hour or so and I looked down and five minutes had passed, 10 minutes had passed. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know, what else do I do? What else do I pray for? One of the things that I learned in a summer trip that I made to El Salvador. Susan and I went to El Salvador back in 83. There was a civil war going on down there, by the way, when we went. And so we were praying for safety, and uh, a lot of our friends were praying for our safety as well. But God taught us a lot that summer. And one of the things that, that I learned, I learned from some young people that were in the church that we ministered to most, Iglesia Nazaret in San Salvador. In the capital city. They would have these what they call vigilias. Vigilias. They would spend all night in prayer. Watchful. Waiting is what the word means. Watching. Waiting for the Lord to return. And praying. And they would pray for, for, their, for their country. They would pray for their church. They were wanting to plant three more uh, congregations. So they were playing, praying for those church plants. They were praying for their friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. We would spend time worshiping and kind of like the students came up here and stood in front. I love that, by the way, uh, of you guys standing here and just worshiping the Lord and just kind of leading in worship. We were standing, we were worshiping, we were on our knees, we were praying, and we were reading the word together. An incredible, incredible evening all night long from about 10 o'clock at night till 6 in the morning. And it was an amazing evening. And it was during those times the Lord taught me about withdrawing for prayer. And I, I go back to, and I think that's why this passage jumped out at me. It's like, I don't think that we really have a grasp on what, what truly, how we pray. And so I want us to look at this, this verse. It says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The very first word is the word but. Anytime you have the word but, you know, oh, there's something that went before. You can have all the ice cream you want, but... You're going to have to work for 12 hours to get it. Oh, great. Right? In this case, it says, but. So what went before? But he would pray. Why was he praying? What was it that came before? And right before this, in the, in the uh, verse right before, verse 15, it says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered. If you've ever had great crowds gathered and they're looking to you, it drains you. If you have small crowds, little kids, and they're pulling at your pants legs all the time. Pretty soon, you're ready for a break, right? You don't want to have to make any more decisions. You don't want to have, you're, you're, you just need some time away to withdraw to a desert place. And you're, at that point, sometimes willing to go to the desert place. And, and you, these great crowds gathered to hear him. So he was teaching. He was healing of them, of their infirmities. But what else was happening? You see, if you back up even a little further, he's talking to, to James and John, sons of Zebedee in verse 10. And Simon, and he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be catching people. 
Oh, we get a little bit of the heart of God. It's people. He says to Levi after this point, in verse 27, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. We see him praying in in verse 12 of chapter 6. He prayed all night, and when the day came, verse 13, he called his disciples. So what was he praying for? He was praying over a list of names. And we get that partial list right here, the list of those 12 that he chose. Were there more that he prayed for? I don't know. And it may be, as I thought, as I read that, I thought, you know, we need a list of names to pray for, all of us. In fact, this month you'll hear me talk about pray for five. What I want to encourage you to do is make a list of five people. Five people that, that don't know Jesus. Five people that, that uh, maybe they, they know Jesus, uh, but they, they are, have fallen away or they, they no longer go to church because they've been hurt or something's happening and God wants to use you in their life. I want you to pray for these five people and then I want you to do something else because Jesus prayed and then he went out and called his disciples. So I want you to pray for these five. I want you to make a list of these five. Pray this week that God will lay those five on your heart. And if you don't have five, I can give you some other ones, right? Or you can look around at people that you know that that you don't know well, maybe you don't even like right now, and you need to pray for them too. Pray that they would come come to Jesus and then invite them, call them. Say, hey, you want to go to coffee? You want to get a meal? You want to hang out? Whatever. And then pray that God would use you in their life. And pray that God would use somebody in their life. It may not be you. It may be that you're just one piece of the puzzle. But one thing I do know, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Part of the thing that we need to pray for is not just our health, not just help, but for people. I just thought of an alliteration. Health, help, and humans. All right? We need to pray, we need to add humans, we need to add people to this list. That we pray for them because that was on the heart of God. If we're going to pray like Jesus did, we need to pray specifically for that list of names, those people. And so I want to encourage you, write down five names. Some names will come to you quickly. Some names you may need to think about. Some names you may put down and then later change and put another name. That's all right too. But I want to encourage you, have five Because that's how we pray like Jesus, but follow me and I will, and you will catch people. That's on his heart that we pray for others that they will be, and we'll look at the, the passage we read, they'll be harvest, they'll be part of the harvest of God. Then it says, but he, and I almost skipped over that word, he. Oh yeah, Jesus, right. Yeah, he's praying, right. It's not just a place thing that he's doing here. Oh yeah, it's Jesus, I want you to think about, I almost, like I said, I almost skipped over this one. I want you to think about who he is. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The Messiah. The Christ. The Lamb of God. The Lion of Judah. The door. The gate of the sheep pen. The way the truth, the life. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, He prayed. I mean, think about that. Creator of the universe who spoke the worlds into existence prayed. Why did he pray? Why did he need to pray? I mean, couldn't he just speak and things happen? I mean, I've heard people say, well, God already knows what I need. I don't need to pray. You think Jesus knew what was going to happen? Why did he need to pray? I mean, he could make it happen. And yet he prayed. And you scratch your head and you think, there are some false things that we think about when we think about prayer, and, and those things hold us back. We worry, God may say no. Yeah, he might, but he still wants us to ask. God already knows what I need, but he told me to ask. You don't have because you don't ask. So you don't have, maybe you just need to ask. Maybe it's our pride that's holding us back. Maybe it's our arrogance. Maybe it's our theology. Sometimes we, we think, and, and I, was, I Googled this, by the way, and I was trying to figure out, how do you, how do you, how do you figure this out? And so I was thinking, what do the people believe about prayer? And, and, and so one of it was, it was they, they call it soul care. Prayer is soul care. Oh, really? Praying is just for my own soul. It's not for God doing anything. There's some things that God has said won't happen unless I pray. I mean, think about that. He wants us to talk to him. And it's not just for my own soul. It's for him. It's not to just, some would say, it's to change your heart to be more like Christ's heart. Yeah, it changes my heart, but Jesus' heart didn't need to be changed to be more like God's heart. That wasn't why he prayed. I know that wasn't why he prayed. Why did he pray? We know from Philippians 2 that he, and the term that's used is emptied himself. And theologians for years have said, what does that mean? simply means that he voluntarily did not use his attributes of deity. He chose to veil those things. In Philippians 2, it says, uh, verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have the mind of Christ. So how do I do that? It says, Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, voluntarily did not use, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus prayed because he took on full humanity, fully man, fully God. That's who we serve. Jesus And so because of his humanity, he chose not to use his attributes of deity, and so he prayed. There's another reason he prayed. I mean, he prayed to fulfill all righteousness. He prayed to fulfill the law. But he also prayed as an example for us, and we see his example, and and Peter picks this up in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, when he's talking about our suffering... And he says that we've been called to suffering, which is not a phrase that I like for this. You've been called. What? Suffering? Oh, great. It says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So that we, he, he served, 
he, he, he prayed as an example for us so that we would follow that example. And so if I'm going to follow that example, then I need to think, how can I pray like Jesus? And the way that I pray like Jesus is that I pray even though I know I might get a no. Did Jesus ever get a no as an answer to prayer? Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if you will, let this cup pass from me. But not as I will, but I will be done, right? And what was the Father's will? The thing that we don't realize is the Father told him no, but he was saying yes to us. He was saying no to him not dying, but he was saying yes to our salvation. God knows better than any of us what is necessary and what is needed. There's some very hard things that happen in this life that we don't understand. I've stood by the bedside of many people that have passed away that I didn't understand. Even times where I've been really ticked at God. And said, God, I don't understand this. Why did you allow this to happen? But every time I have to come back and say, I trust you. You are good. You know all things. And you are all good. And I trust that your goodness has come to bear on this decision, even though I don't understand it. There's an illustration that's often used in teaching ethics where this little boy is playing among the gears and his father is the guy that has to change the tracks so that, they, so that the train won't derail, so that the right tracks are open for the train to pass. He's a switchman. And in this illustration, the switchman needs to switch it or the train will derail. He looks over and sees his kid in the gears and he's got a decision to make. Do I go get my kid out of the gears and I don't have time to come back and switch the track and let the train derail? Or do I switch the track and knowing that my son is going to be crushed to death and the train is saved and they don't know anything's happening, they're waving as they drive by. And in the illustration, most people would say, well, you do the most good for the most number of people, and so therefore you've got to save the train, and so your son has to die, and, and, and the switchman has to pull the switch. But the reality is, is we don't know enough to make that call. Because that little boy that's crushed in the gears might be the one that finds a cure for cancer that saves even more than it's on that train, Right? And we don't know. We don't know enough to make a wise decision. We try to make good decisions in difficult situations, but we don't know enough. But the God of the universe who knows all things and is all good makes the best decision that needs to be made for our good. And the only question we need to ask is, do I trust you? And yet at the same time, I can pray like crazy. I can pray that God would deliver in the way that my childish heart understands Lord, help me, save them, whatever the, the prayer is. But then at the end of the day, Lord, I trust you. Do your will. Don't even do what I'm asking you to do if it's not the best. And so we pray. And we want to pray like Jesus. He prayed for people. He would withdraw. It was a habit that he had. It was something he did often. It's something that wasn't just a happenstance, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. He he often went to desolate places, and that idea of desolate places is uh, not just uh, a place that didn't have vegetation. 
That's why you see desolate places or desert as a, as a translation. It was really a place without people. Uninhabited is really the idea. He would move away from people in order to get close to God. And I, I read something that said, oh, yeah, he just he wants to be away from people, and that's why he did that. It's like, no, that's, that's not it either. He loved people. He was praying for the kingdom. He was praying for the harvest. When you go over to chapter 10 of Luke, and Luke 10, 2, you see that there's 72 people going out. This harvest. They're going out to, to do the harvest. Now, the interesting thing about the harvest is, is the harvest is plentiful, and you would think it would say, so go and harvest, right? That's not what he's saying. These guys are already 72, 36 pairs going out to, to do the harvest. He's saying it's too big for you. It's bigger than you can imagine. So you pray for laborers to go forth into the harvest. That's what I'm praying today for you. That you will be some of those laborers who are also praying for five. Because the harvest is big. Now many of you may think, well, I, I can't see this big harvest. It seems like the whole world's going to Hades in a handbasket, right? I mean, things seem to be going south here. And it's like, wait a minute, who do you believe? Do you believe Jesus? The harvest is plenteous. Or your own heart. Where you say, well, people seem to be walking away from the church and walking away from the Lord and the harvest is plenteous. As a church, we have a responsibility and a job to do. If things are going south in our world, sometimes I blame us. If we would have been doing the job of evangelism and not arguing with each other, we probably would see a different world. If we were loving on our community and loving on our world, I think things could be very different. And I don't say that to shame us. I say that, come on, guys. Come on, church. We need to get about the task of seeing thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be about the, the task of praying like Jesus did, who prayed for the harvest. And he still intercedes for you. The world is the objective. Remember Acts 1.8? I think I have a picture of that. If you want to throw that up there. A friend of mine in college had this National Geographic map up on the wall. And under it, on a three-by-five card, it simply said, the objective. Acts 1-8. The world is the objective. God loves the world. He gave, Jesus gave his life for the world. And what he says is, the laborers are few. We need more laborers to go about the task we need to be praying not only for these five that they would come to Jesus, but they would become laborers too. We can reach the world in about 20 years if each of us would reach just two people a year and encourage those that we reach to reach two people a year. We could reach the world in 20 years. It's doable. It's doable, church. We can do this. And what typically happens is we come to church and, and you come to church and you expect the worship to knock you off your socks and to take you to the throne. You expect the pastor to have something that's going to apply to your life this week and that's going to invest in you and you're going to go away going, wow, glory, hallelujah, I learned something new today. But there's another expectation that we don't have of ourselves that we should have. And that is when we walk out these doors, we're different. We're blessed James tells us when we do the word, not when we just hear it. 
Not when we just read it. But we walk away and we do it. So I'm asking you to do something. Pray for five. Begin to pray fervently for five. Maybe take some time to take half a day with the Lord or a day with the Lord. Read this book by How to Spend a Day with the Lord by Lauren Sani and then do some of that. Because you'll find that your prayer life will be, never be the same as it was before you did that. You'll be changed. You'll be different. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, he's Lord of the harvest, not us. We're not the harvesters. To send out laborers into his harvest. C.H. Spurgeon was talking about this passage and he was also talking about another one in uh, Mark 135 which talks about Jesus getting up a great while before day and praying. Here's what he says. He says, the son of harvest was up before the sun. How much must our Lord have loved prayer to renounce his needed rest and sleep in order to hold converse with the heavenly father? He was sinless and yet needed prayer. Far be it from us to dream that we can do without it. In private, we must, like our Lord, equip ourselves for the public battle of life. How do we equip ourselves? We become refreshed by him. We need those times of refreshing where the Lord refreshes our hearts. When we pull away, and we just spend some extended time with the Lord. It grows us in our prayer life. It makes us pray beyond just the typical stuff that we pray for regularly. It causes us to pray for those things we don't pray for often. And the thing that I would say is we need to pray for our world. We need to pray for revival. And it starts with praying for five. Getting very specific. That you're praying for specific names. And that you would invite them to coffee or to a meal. And when you do that, you pray, Lord, open the door. Give me opportunity to proclaim Jesus in a way that is thoughtful. Help me to listen to them. First thing that you do, just invite them over and listen to where they're coming from. Because it's hard to know how to proclaim Jesus when you don't know who they are. Show love to them. Because they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross for us. We thank you that Jesus talked about us and continues to talk about us. In Romans 8, we see that he intercedes for us for us. We see also in Romans 8, the Spirit intercedes for us with groans and utterings too deep for words. Father, you love us with a deep love. And Jesus prayed for us even on the night in which he's betrayed in John 17, he prayed for us. He prayed for those who would believe in the message of the apostles. Lord, that's us. He prayed for us. Lord, help us to pray like Jesus. To pray for those for whom he died. 
Lord, help us, guide us, lead us. I pray that this time next year, that many of the five that each of us have prayed for would come to know you. And I pray that you would transform their lives and ours as we see your hand at work. Lord, we long to see your hand working among us. And so we ask for that. We invite you that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that that would be done here and now. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.